this morning, week three of becoming prepared for an outpouring. And I remember on the last night of EBS, I walked in here and those 31 kids exited the prayer room and someone on the board team came up to me and she said, Luke, I just feel like the outpouring is coming. And it's, it's been happening right in front of our eyes. And two weeks ago, we spent 168 hours in prayer, consecutive prayer. Like, I don't know another church that's just done that. You know, a four-year-old church, you know, under 300 people participated in seven days of prayer nonstop. Like, that in itself is just like this really encouraging milestone of who we are as a community. And then, I don't know if we just didn't see it coming, but then VBS was the week after 24-7 prayer, and I looked at the team like, did we think about that? Did we think this through? And they're like, yeah, we actually did think about that. I'm like, that sounds like something we would do, is stack those two things back to back like that. There is an outpouring. It's been happening, and it's been coming, and there's going to be more of it. And part of becoming prepared for an outpouring is becoming prepared in, in your mind. The first week we talked about how important it was and how critical it is to be prepared by prayer and how prayer was the foundation that anything is built on where God awakens his people to his presence. And prayer was the one critical component for God's people to participate in. If we really want to see a fresh awakening in our city, in our lifetime, it will be because a church prays. A church builds a culture of prayer. A church prays 168 consecutive hours. These are the milestones that gets momentum built for a church to see and feel a fresh awakening to God's presence, an outpouring. And then, and then last week, Nick talked about how important it was for our schedules to be prepared, open enough for God to fill. Open enough for God to, to fill so that we can live from God's love and not constantly be looking for opportunities for God's love. But we're just already in God's love. We're already in God's presence because we have him in our schedule. We've allowed him to speak into our schedule. And this morning, we're going to talk about being prepared in your mind. Now, I can just tell you right now that if there's anything that's going to happen this morning, that's going to be a breakthrough in your life, that's powerful at any level, it's because your mind this morning will be open. It's because you have just surrendered your whole body, your whole heart, your whole mind unto the Spirit of God. And that is how your mind will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You must have an open mind. Matthew 22 in 36 and 37 says this. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is kind of a big question given the Torah had a lot of things to say in it. So when a disciple, a Jewish disciple, were to ask their Jewish rabbi, which is the most important one in this really thick book of, of law here? Which is the most important? And Jesus replied, love. Which is a verb all throughout scripture, love. The Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Here's a little exercise this morning. Uh, consider this. A non-spiritual person can serve the poor. A non-spiritual person can even promote morality. A non-spiritual person can pursue justice. I want to ask you, what can a spiritual person, someone who has the Holy Spirit in their hearts, in their bodies, in their souls, what can a spiritual person do that a non-spiritual person can't? And Matthew 22 answers that. It's love God. 
The only thing a spiritual person can do that a non-spiritual person can't do is love God. Is to love God with all of their hearts, with all of their souls, and with all of their minds. And Jesus answers these disciples who are curious about, like, what's the most important thing in this long list of, you know, to-dos and to-don't-dos and the Torah that revealed humans' inability to follow God without the Spirit of God in, in them. And Jesus answers it, love. Love God. Now, the church has been really, really vocal about the second part of the Shema. The Shema was the Jewish prayer that prayed that every single morning. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And there was just this centering prayer in the Jewish community that, that brought everybody back to love God, love God, love God. The church today, we have gotten very vocal about love God and love others. Love the community around me. Love my family, my friends, my cul-de-sac, my community. We have spent generations now as a Protestant church, post-Reformation, about loving others. And that is good, and we will always do that. I can't remember the last time we talked about as a church, the collective we, of how important it is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Now, I'm going to get really unscientific here. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a biologist. This is just a pastoral perspective. You are free to disagree with me. You can send me an email anytime you want. I'm going to break down that three part of the human person, the heart, the soul, and the mind, simply from a pastoral opinion. The heart or the muscle that God moves to move you to action. The heart. This, this thing inside of you that beats but also has 40,000 neurons on it. Literally, your heart is your second brain. Just recently, scientists have discovered neurons, identical to neurons on your brain, are also on your heart. And they're little, and there's lots of them. And so when people say, well, I think with my heart, not with my head, they are literally thinking with their heart. Because your heart is your second brain. The muscle that God moves to move you to action. And then there's this soul, the soul, or the supernatural and spiritual part of you that bonds with God. The part of you that interacts with the supernatural. The part of you that is connected to the spiritual realm. The part of you that is beyond your human frame and your physical limitations. All that part of you, your soul. And then finally, your mind, the mind or the computer that interprets the experiences around you. So if we are going to be a people who are prepared for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we must be a people who have open minds. Now, I know that sounds really kind of new age, maybe even spiritually dangerous, but what I mean is being open-minded to Jesus, Opening your mind to the Holy Spirit. I'm not just saying open your mind. Actually, that is quite dangerous because if you open your mind to the wrong spirit, the lowercase s spirit, you're going to get filled with garbage. But if you open your mind to the capital S spirit, God, all of a sudden you have a mind filled with the Holy Spirit. Open your mind this morning. Can you do that? 
Do you have the courage to open your mind to Jesus this morning? Because I think that if you do have the courage to open your mind to Christ, he wants to give you something. He wants to fill your mind with something. Okay, so this is what Colossians 3 says. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. I want you to say it with me. Set your minds. Say it again. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And again, in Romans 8, it says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, say it with me, set their minds on things of the Spirit. Mindset. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about mindset. It's a buzzword all across the interwebs, right? There's like thousands of podcasts, countless books. You can download them on Audible. You can listen to podcasts on Spotify. YouTube's full of all of this different content around mindset. And I'm a sucker for mindset because I love the topic of mindset. And I especially love the topic of mindset because it is a biblical idea. And it's a biblical concept. Those scriptures just revealed how spiritual this idea of mindset really is. I'm especially interested in talking about a spiritual mindset. So this morning, we're going to break down the two mindsets that exist in the kingdom of God that you must understand as a Christ follower or someone who's Jesus curious enough to be at a church service to understand mindset from God's perspective. We're going to be talking about the mindset of heaven and the mindset of hell. We're going to talk about hell first. The mindset of hell. For you to have an open mind this morning, you must listen to the words of Scripture. You must listen to me as I share with you what God has revealed in His Word so that your mind can be made new again this morning. When I say the word hell, a lot of you get uncomfortable because churches don't like talking about hell. Hell is a scary word. When I say the word hell, you might have different thoughts or, or pictures in your head of people on the streets holding signs or, or wherever your head goes to. Perhaps you grew up in a church where the, the communicator, the, the pastor, the preacher preached like hell fire. <laughs> and in one sense, like each one of us has this stigma with the word hell. Okay. But this morning, I want to get a little bit away from your stigma and get all the way into what God's word has to say about hell. Because if it's in God's word, it's worth being in your ears. If it's in God's word, it's worth being in your mind. And hell is in God's word, so hell better be understood by you. So you understand exactly what God means by it, exactly how you can avoid it, and what it means to have the mindset of hell today. Borrowing from psychology, the mindset of hell is a fixed mindset. And more specifically, it is a spiritually fixed mindset. So when I talk about mindset, and when I talk about a spiritually fixed mindset, for those of you who are interested in psychology or someone who's listened to the podcast or listened to the books about mindset, you'll understand what I mean when I say fixed mindset. I'm going to add to it because that's what pastors do. 
spiritually fixed mindset. I want you to listen to these comments and I want you to see if any of them resonate with you, okay? The mindset of hell says things like, I will always be this way. That is a spiritually fixed mindset, the mindset of hell. I will never change. Spiritually fixed mindset, mindset of hell. No one will ever love me. Spiritually fixed mindset. God is done with me. Spiritually fixed mindset. I'm not enough. Spiritually fixed mindset. I'm unlovable. Spiritually fixed mindset. Now, no one is exempt from thinking these thoughts. Everyone, every one of us, I have, for sure I have. Every one of us has thought one of these statements before or said it over ourselves or listened to someone else say it to us and believed it. Every single one of us has had a spiritually fixed mindset at one point in our life or another. This is the destructive power of negative input. I want you to stay with me here because we have a lot to unpack and a lot to communicate. Right now, we're talking about the mindset of hell and how the mindset of hell is a spiritually fixed mindset. And in that spiritually fixed mindset, we say to ourselves comments like these, statements like these, or they are said to us and we believe them. This is the destructive power of negative input in your ears. Okay, John Ortberg said this. He says, what repeatedly enters your mind and occupies your mind eventually shapes your mind and will ultimately express itself in what you do and who you become. I can prove that John is right. And I bet you, you have also been in a Chick-fil-A drive through line. And you felt claustrophobic, didn't you? Because you're like, oh, I've been here now for about 12 minutes. I've moved maybe 10 feet, but the power of Christian chicken over my soul is drawing me to the drive through line right now, right? And you're stuck in the line willing to sacrifice all this time just for that golden nugget of deliciousness. And when you're in line, you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to get out of this line. Like if I run out of gas, like what happens then? What if I got to get out? Like, what if there's an emergency? Like, how am I going to get out of this? Like, Chick-fil-A has no emergency exit plan in their Chick-fil-A lines. They don't. I can prove that this is true. The environment around you, church family, ultimately becomes the environment within you. So if you're stuck in a Chick-fil-A drive through line, you will feel claustrophobic. It's silly, but it's true. The environment around you becomes the environment within you. There are those that are under the sound of my voice this morning who are in a perpetual state of negative input. What is going inside of you, around you, is negative. You've surrounded yourself. The environment around you is negative. 
because you are in a constant consumption of negative input. You've got bad news on your TV in your kitchen on all of the time. And you wonder why your soul is filled with doom. It's because your TV's been on since the second you woke up on every doom channel you can find. The environment around you becomes the environment in you. Okay, so now there are others of you who love to follow all of these different people on the Facebooks, on the Instagrams, on all the social medias, your favorite news outlet apps or whatever, and it's all doom scroll, doom scroll, doom scroll, doom scroll. And you wonder why you are a person of anxiety. Well, because you think the world's going to end tomorrow. The environment around you becomes the environment within you. Now, there are others of you who showed up this morning who took a big old breath of relief because you're like, oh, finally, I get to be around some great people because you just spent Friday and Saturday night around some really negative people. And all of your friends are negative. And all of your friends are feeding you negative content. All of your friends around you are bringing you down. They're not building you up. And you wonder why you have a soul that's empty. The environment around you, your constant consumption of negative input, be it media, be it friends, be it whatever, okay? There's a reason you feel the way you feel. It's because you're stuck in a Chick-fil-A line and you're feeling claustrophobic. That is why when my grandfather was alive, he carved in his little shop in uh, their basement this really neat little set of three monkeys. And the little statue of wooden monkeys had one monkey with the hands over its ears. And the other monkey had the hands over its, you guys know where I'm going? Its eyes. And the last monkey had its hands over its mouth. To hear no evil, to see no evil, and to say no evil. There is another greater carpenter. Come on. There is a carpenter who wants to protect your eyes, your ears, and your mouth. There is a carpenter who loves you so much that he died on a wooden cross and resurrected from the grave so you would not have to be a person of negative input. So you could be a person who's freed from the negative in your life. Right now, there's, there's people in this room who've been walking around and their, their hands have not been over their ears. Their hands have not been over their eyes. Their hands have not been over their mouth. The, the constant consumption of negative input, the negative input, even if it's morally acceptable by society, it's still negative input into your life. There's a reason you are filled with doom and anxiety and regret and shame. Because the environment around you becomes the environment in you. Some of you need to trade Riverdale and Bridgerton for the chosen. All right? Some of y'all need to stop watching porn and start watching Sound of Freedom. You feel me? Some of y'all need to stop listening to Cardi B and John Mayer and start listening to Maverick City and Carrie Job. Seriously. The environment 
around you becomes the environment within you. If you are wondering why you're filled with doom, negativity, shame, it's because you've got negative input into your life. The enemy normalizes what is in hell. He uses it to paralyze us on earth, okay? The negative input in your life is paralyzing you right now. And you wonder why your mind is is filled up with everything that is not godly. It's because of the negative input from every variable and factor around you. It's consuming you. It's creating a doom in you and an anxiety in you. Why else would Peter say in 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert. Look at your neighbor and say, be alert. Be alert. Be alert. Be alert. And of sober mind. Another rendering of the word sober is sound. Another sound mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The tactics of the enemy are often not immediately morally evil or corrupt. They're usually morally acceptable by society. And the bait and switch is, well, can't be that bad. I mean, Bridgerton can't be that bad. Riverdale can't be that bad. These things can't be that bad. And then eventually you find yourself going down a road. You're like, how did I get here? Why am I objectifying everybody around me? Why, Why am I mad at everyone in my life, in my family? Why am I snapping at my kids? The environment around you becomes the environment Inside of you. What what about 2 Corinthians 11, 14? It says, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan doesn't have horns. That's just TV. That's just movies. He is a spiritual creature. And Jesus and Satan are not even. Satan and Michael the archangel, they're even. Jesus is so supreme over Satan. And Satan only knows if I'm going to trick these human beings into following me and making sure I can fill their minds with the filth that I produce. I've got to look like an angel of light. I've got to disguise myself. I've got to trick them into thinking that I'm actually good. So be alert. Be alert and of sound mind. What about Ephesians 4.27? And do not give the devil a foothold. The ESV renders a foothold opportunity. Do not give the devil an opportunity. All he needs is one opportunity. One moment. One little opportunity to trick you, to think to make you think that he's an angel of light. Be alert and of sound mind because there is a devil who masquerades himself as an angel of light who wants nothing more than for you to hate God, who wants nothing more for them to take you off track so that you will stop following Jesus in every area of your life. The enemy has the mindset of hell. Don't give him the opportunity to fill your mind with garbage. 
And every single time you entertain yourself with garbage and you excuse it away as it's not that bad, you should remember the human's ability for self-deception. We have a frightening capacity for self-deception. When you say it's not that bad, it just means it's too late. You've already gone down the road of consuming negative content, surrounding yourselves with negative friends, putting stuff in your mind that ultimately kills you from the inside out. You must be alert and of sound mind because we easily believe the angel of light that's masquerading, it's actually the enemy. Be alert. So what can we do now? As Christians that live in a media-saturated world who are constantly busy, who are looking for friends and sometimes in all of the wrong places, but looking for good reasons, what hope do we have? What hope do we have? Because we are often caught in proverbial Chick-fil-A lines wherever we go. We're lonely, and so we find ourselves just doom-scrolling. We're lonely, so we, we do things that we wish we hadn't done later after we do them. We find people that we think might love us, but ultimately end up using us or hurt us. What hope do we have? What hope do we have to be people that have reprogrammed minds? It's time to let the Holy Spirit inside of your mind to reprogram your mind so that you have the ability to ID toxic and horrible things that the enemy is trying to fill your mind with. It will be ultimately trading the mindset of hell for the mindset of heaven. It will be ultimately deciding deep down in your heart of hearts that you want to adopt a mindset of heaven. It will be because you want it and long for it more than the mindset of hell that has hurt you. All you have to do is look at the enemy's track record. You will find that he, has, he does not have your best interest in mind. He wants to destroy. He wants to kill. He wants to steal. So you have to be alert. You have to be of sound mind. You must have the mindset of heaven. Again, borrowing from psychology, the mindset of heaven is a growth mindset. Remember, we talked about how the psychology calls it a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And so a mindset of heaven is more specifically a spiritual growth mindset. Let's break these things down. What does a spiritual growth mindset mean? It means that you'll say comments like this to yourself. With God's help, I can change. With God's help, I can change. Or God loves me and I have value. You start to say truthful things over yourself that way, all of a sudden the lie begins to lose its power and it begins to break down and crumble away. You must say what is true over yourself. People would miss me if I wasn't here. With God, I am more than enough. I'm lovable and I can add value. A setback is a setup for a comeback. All of these true statements, all of these beautifully positive comments spoken over yourself is taking the wash water of God's truth and cleaning out what is in your mind that the enemy has filled with so long with garbage. Some of us have been saying negative comments over our life now for so long. You have come to be so used to it that you don't expect anything else. You've almost come to like it. 
because you feel like you deserve it. And so you get a little bit of satisfaction for saying negative things over you because you feel like you deserve the negative things. I mean, the corruption of negative thoughts goes so deep. There's like no limit. We must trade the mindset of hell for the mindset of heaven and being able to say truthful things over our minds. So the question that all of you are asking is, well, how do I do that, Luke? How do I trade the mindset of hell for the mindset of heaven? Well, it's quite simple. It's tremendously intentional, but it is simple. It's, it's just positive input. It's trading negative input for positive input. That's why Romans 12 goes down this road. Look at Romans 12 in verse 1 and 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. And the patterns of this world are the patterns of hell. The patterns of this world were born in the patterns of hell. It is the mindset of hell. Becoming a person with the mindset of heaven will be a person who starts to have positive input into their life. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be reformed by the patterns of heaven. And to be reformed by the patterns of heaven is to bring the positive input into your life. God doesn't transform people with magic. He renews their mind with his Holy Spirit. Look at Romans 8. It says this, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, say it with me, lives in you. I, you, you must pause and consider the power of what you just read. The same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. Whatever power that is. I, I don't know, how, you, how do you name such power? I mean, you can't put horsepower to it. You can't put like government power to it. You can't be like, well, that's like the Supreme Court's power. That's the executive branch's power. I mean, this is Congress power. No, this is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit power. That's the power we're talking about. It's hard to ID. That's the power that rose Jesus from the grave. It's in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. That is why those who used to walk away from God like I did before I met Jesus, the power of meeting Jesus brought me into a whole new life with Jesus. Now, I know there are people in this room who had a life pre-Jesus. Aren't you glad you met Jesus? Aren't you so glad that he met you and you met him and he changed you from the inside out? You see, the pressures of the world try to change you from the outside in. They exert pressures upon you. Negative input, negative input. But God, the Holy Spirit, is inside of you and changes you from the inside out. The power that rose Jesus from the dead is in you if you are a Christ follower which means that you have all the power in the world. Look at your neighbor and say, I've got the power. 
Now look at your neighbor and say, it's not my power. Do you understand? You've got all the power you need. It's just not your power. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of you that can bring you out of a mindset of hell. To be prepared for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your mind needs to be a mind that is opened up, so to speak. The lid is off your mind, if you want to use an image here. And you have allowed the Holy Spirit into your mind. You're like, Luke, I don't think the Holy Spirit's going to like what he finds in my mind. (laughs) Yeah, all of us have been there. I get it. I get it. Our capacity for self-deception is scary. Our ability to sit in the moral filth and ethical decay of the world and allow that to, to grow in our minds, it's scary. It's scary. It is. But the faith that I have, the Bible that tells me about Jesus, also says that greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. Which means that the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is in you, and that power is stronger than the power of the enemy. I mean, do you understand? Do you understand that the Holy Spirit has empowered you to ultimately defend yourself against the mindset of hell? You've got it all. You just must have an, a mind open to the Holy Spirit. And if you're like me, you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm too embarrassed to let the Holy Spirit into my mind. I mean, that's like opening the closet that has not been opened for many, many years. Things are going to fall out. It's going to smell bad. I want to invite you to do it nonetheless. If, if anyone in this room is, is um, interested in horticulture, gardening, any of that kind of stuff, my wife and I have this composter behind our house. And this composter is just this weird like black barrel that you can like spin on its wheels or whatever. Here's how a composter works if you aren't, you know, into composting. You take yard debris-like leaves. You take kitchen scraps like coffee grounds. You take banana peels. You take really anything except for maybe like meats. You kind of leave meats out of it. But you put straw. You put um, leaves. You put grass clippings. You put them into this black composter. And in that composter sits a lot of like smelly, nasty, filthy, grub, grunge mixture of gross, right? And now what you're supposed to do with a composter is you're supposed to fill with grass clippings, leaves, banana peels, coffee grounds, eggshells, whatever. And you're supposed to go out there like once a day and you're supposed to spin it on its wheels. Because the way that a composter works is it needs oxygen to come through the perforated holes of this barrel. And the oxygen, over time, it breaks down all of that straw and grass clippings. And it breaks down all of the eggshells and it breaks down all the coffee grounds. And over time, it turns this nasty like combination of gross into topsoil. And then you take this really fine, granular topsoil, and you kind of put it around your plants in your garden, if that's your thing, or flowers, if that's your thing, or whatever, herbs. The Holy Spirit breathes on your filth, guys. 
He breathes on it long enough to turn it into something that ultimately becomes good in your life. Because then you can look back and say, I was once this way. I was once someone who stole, who lied, who lusted. I was once someone who believed all of my own thoughts. I was once someone who was greedy with my money. I was once this, I was once that. And what the Holy Spirit does is he invites you to let him into your mind and breathe oxygen onto what remains there. And that barrel starts turning over and over and over and over. Look, if you've got a mind right now that is full of garbage because of the negative input in your life, you're listening to the wrong voices, you're consuming the wrong media, you're watching the wrong shows, you're listening to the wrong music, you've got the wrong friends, you've got all this negative input, negative input, negative input. Allow the Holy Spirit into your composter. Allow the Holy Spirit into your mind so that he can breathe his breath of life onto what remains there and bring you to a place where then you can offer, do you understand where I'm going with this? Where you can bring the past and say, I was once like this, but not anymore because I met Jesus. And I'm gonna bring all that filth and all that mess and all that garbage that was once in my life where God breathed on that. And now I can offer this topsoil to the world, to my community, to my friends, to my family, to my spouse, to my kids, to my coworkers. Look, if you want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your mind, you got to open it. You got to let the Holy Spirit into it. It's a lot like a baptistry. You understand how a baptistry works? It's this uh, holy hot tub, so to speak. And God invites you to step into the baptistry and participate in a death and a resurrection. It's not magical. The water's not magical. It's symbolic. It means something, like a symbol would mean something. When you step into a baptistry, you're ultimately publicly declaring to the church community around you, to your friends, to your family, to the city, to your community, and say, the life I once had, I no longer want to identify with. I'm no longer going to identify with the worst parts of my story. I'm going to start identifying with the new parts of my story with God. And so the invitation for baptism is an invitation to say, I want to identify myself publicly with the new life God has offered me. The parts of my old story, yeah, God's going to breathe the breath of life onto those and turn that compost into topsoil. He'll do that. But today I'm going to align myself with God. And so this morning that baptistry is full. And I just want to invite any of you this morning, if you feel like this is where you're at, you're at a place in life where you're no longer willing to allow the compost filth in your mind to perpetuate and stink, but you instead want to have the living God breathe onto that compost, bring it to life, turn it to top. So you want, if you want that, I just would encourage you to accept the invitation for baptism because that step of faith is massive. You are publicly declaring that you no longer want to identify yourself with the parts of your story that you feel shame about. You no longer want to identify with the parts of your story that you feel guilty about, but you want to identify yourself with the future where God is taking you, where God is leading you, the new life God has for you, the new friends God has for you, the new things that God wants for you. He wants to protect your mind. He wants to preserve your mind. He wants to pour himself into your mind, but you must open your mind and you must allow him to breathe on what's in there.
I don't know where you're at, but today is a great day to take a step of faith. If you are not a Christian and you are in this room this morning and you want to acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is, I want to invite you to the prayer room afterwards. The team would love to pray with you, to, to pray a prayer of invitation with you. When we offered that to kids, 31 kids accepted that offer. Isn't it amazing that the Bible says childlike faith is a thing that, that Jesus gets excited about? Maybe there's some kids inside of you and, and, and some adults this morning that just need to accept the offer of salvation and go pray a sinner's prayer, so to speak, and allow the Holy Spirit to touch your soul. And there are others in this room right now who are on the fence about baptism because you're not sure you want to look wet in front of everybody. I'm like, that's the point. You're publicly declaring to everybody in the room, I no longer want my old life to be the thing that surrounds me. I want my new life with Jesus to be the thing that surrounds me. Because greater is he who is in you, friends, who is in you and who is in you and who is in you than he who is in this world. You've got the power. Look at your neighbor and say, I've got the power. Now look at your neighbor and say, it's not my power. Now look at your neighbor and say, it's God's power. Now look at your neighbor and say, I want to come back to life. Now look at your neighbor and say, God, breathe on me. Look, don't let this day go by without doing something, okay? Don't let the morning go by without you making some kind of action. Don't just let this go to your head and be like, oh, what another great Sunday at church. No, do something to prove that God has done something in you, okay? Pray with me. Jesus, we need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our minds. The negative input, it's paralyzing God. The negative media, the negative doom scrolling, the negative everything, the negative friends, the negative this, the negative that, it's awful, God. We don't want it anymore. Give us the courage to trade the mindset of hell for the mindset of heaven. God, we need you, Jesus. And as we open our minds to you, God, it's scary because there's some things that we don't want you to see. There's some parts of our story, some parts of our past, maybe parts of our today that's just too embarrassing to let you look at. God, give us the courage to allow you to breathe onto our compost and to start turning that barrel over and over and over to turn what is nasty and smelly into something good and productive. God, we need you to breathe onto our lives. God, I just pray for the person in this room right now who's on the fence about salvation. They're pumped to be here, but they're just not sure if they want to meet you face to face. God, I pray that you breathe courage onto their hearts. God, I pray for the person in the room right now who's on the fence about baptism. God, I pray that you'd breathe courage onto that person, Jesus. That today can be a, the first day of the rest of their lives. A day where they can say, yeah, that's the day I chose to no longer identify myself with my past, but identify myself with the future. To participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus, my Lord. So God, I don't know what you're doing in the room this morning. We just invite you to do whatever you've got planned. We are your servants. If you want to blow this whole thing up, God, that's, that's your business, this is your church, God. So we just invite you, invite you, Holy Spirit, to be in this room, to be in a people that are hungry for new minds, fresh minds, renewed minds, because we're a people that push back the negative input and accept the positive input. In Jesus' name, may this be our future. In Jesus' name, may we be people with renewed minds. In Jesus' name, may salvations occur. In Jesus' name, may baptisms occur. 
Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us new life. In Jesus' name, God's people say.